Hello, one and all, and welcome again to another installment of In Summation, The Final Word, a podcast for inquisitive minds on real-life courtroom drama. As always, I'm your host, Paul Townsend, and I have a really special episode for you today. Because today, I bring on a guest who I have an immense amount of respect for. For someone who's not a lawyer and has never attended law school, he has an immense capacity to understand the nuance of legal arguments and has a keen sense of when arguments are advanced by certain parties or justifications are made by judges are legitimate or when they're rank partisan tribalistic support. Andrew Heaton is a political commentator, comedian, and host of the podcast The Political Orphanage, which I have followed for years. And I've long wanted to bring him onto the show to discuss Supreme Court cases because I think he brings a truly unique perspective. Today, we're going to discuss Kennedy versus Bremerton, a religious liberty and establishment clause case decided by the Supreme Court in its most recent term. I think it's a really great conversation about the First Amendment. What does the separation of church and state really entail? What's the role of attempting to accommodate somebody's religious practice in determining whether the state is infringing on their rights? And where do we draw the line between what is a legitimate religious practice as opposed to actions designed specifically to attract attention to a conflict? So without further ado, here's Andrew Heaton and I discussing Kennedy versus Bremerton. Well, hello. I have uh, with me today Andrew Heaton, who is a brilliant, in my opinion, uh, political commentator, sometimes satirist, and, uh, and an individual who thoroughly enjoys doing uh, deep dives into different uh, various legal uh, controversies that have come up and who always presents a very measured and a very reasoned outlook. And so I've invited him uh, to come on to talk about a case that is coming from the most recent term of the Supreme Court which has generated a fairly significant response on social media and uh, in, in legacy media and has really um, kind of caused a lot of people to flip out and lose their minds. Uh, so, Andrew, thank you for coming on to discuss this with me. My pleasure. Thank you for having me on. I, I was really excited uh, to to dive into this subject. You had emailed me and uh, I, I went, this is a great excuse for me to bone up on con law regarding church and state relations, a, a subject that I find fascinating. Uh, and I, I appreciate the very kind words, too. Um, for your listeners who don't know me, I'm, I'm a comedian, but I'm not quite funny enough to be a full-time comedian. So I have, to, I have to hedge my bets by being a gas bag. So I'm kind of an amusing pundit. And I am, I'm going to make the audacious case that I am the finest legalist, legal analyst in the country who is a comedian who never attended law school. There are comedians who attended law school that are better than me, but of the ones that haven't gone to law school, I think I'm the top comedian when it comes to law. And uh, uh, I'm excited to talk to you about this. Certainly the top comedian that I'm aware of who has never attended law school. So today we are going to be- Yeah, take that, Paul Mercurio. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) he's turning over. Um, So today we're going to be talking about uh, Kennedy versus Bremerton School District, which is a case uh, coming out of Washington State originally um, that probably, with the exception of the Dobbs abortion case, has has generated the largest reaction from the most recent term in a in a bevy of a lot of cases that have generated a lot of reactions. Um, So in order to, to fully 
understand and actually grapple with these issues rather than just, you know, complaining that I don't, you know, like the way that this kind of was handed down. Um, It's very important to kind of understand really at essence what it is that Kennedy did, why the school district got upset about it, and how the various stages of the courts, the district court, the court of appeals, and then the Supreme Court kind of tackle these issues. And then we can decide whether or not the majority was right, whether or not the dissent was right, and who actually has a a meritorious legal argument and understanding. Because when you're talking about these really important constitutional rights, the right to free exercise, the right to free speech, and the Establishment Clause, I think it's really important to be able to really insert the conduct into the rubrics that are at issue in order to say whether or not something was prohibited or allowed. All great points. And the, the conduct definitely reflects in the, the decision and the, and the, uh, the, uh, the dissent in that if you're reading Gorsuch, Kennedy is this sweet old guy. He's a veteran. He just, he just wanted to pray. He was doing it quietly, and, and the, the school wouldn't even let him do that. And the court has intervened in order to protect his individual um, free exercise of religion, which is constitutionally protected, and is also dispensing with the lemon test, which we can talk about, which for reasons I'm unaware of, all the conservatives hate and have for the last 30 years. I don't know why there's so much rancor towards the lemon test, but it goes back to Scalia. He hated it. Um, if you're coming from uh, Sotomayor's side, uh, which is, I'm going to I'm gonna throw the cards on the table very much where I am, um, it's more complicated than that. And this isn't a, a passive individual that was hounded by a district, but rather a gadfly intentionally trying to infuse a religious element into a school action, thereby breaking the separation of church and state. I, I think that's a great analysis. So let's let's break it down into a, a brief kind of overview of what Joseph Kennedy did. So as you said, he was a veteran. He was in the Marine Corps for almost 20 years. He gets hired in 2008 uh, to be an assistant football coach uh, for the Bremerton High School. And while he's there, he does a couple things, um, which for a long period of time you know, were really not controversial, according to the district. So he, he led locker room prayers prior to games. You have post-game speeches that were overtly religious in nature. And then at the conclusion of every football game at the 50-yard line, right after the whistle blows, before the students you know, are back in the locker room, he kneels down and silently gives a 30 to 60-second prayer. Um, so right off the bat, any of those three different actions jump out at you as problematic? Yeah. Um, I, I'd say, I think some of the distinctions we can make while talking about this case, um, and I'll, I'll preface this constitutional law. And I think in particular, uh, uh, free exercise of religion within constitutional law is all messy. It's all very granular and there's really no way to deal with it without being nitpicky. So it's going to sound nitpicky, but there's literally no way around that. Um, uh, it seems to me that one of the divisions we can make here is between, personal, passive exercise of religion when you're in the public sphere versus performative. And I say performative just in the sense that it's on display, not in the sense that it's not legitimate, but performative in the sense that it is a communicating action to people. I think that's a relevant thing. And 
I would have no problem, and I don't believe the courts have any problem, with a student praying before a test, so long as it's not disrupting class. Uh, if they're doing it quietly to themselves, they cross themselves before the math exam. Or alternately, if a, uh, a history teacher who's Jewish wears a yarmulke to school, that's not considered problematic. Um, that's I, I, I don't know the relevant case law there, but I would assume that's protected uh, on prior things. Or like if I was a Catholic and I wanted to cross myself uh, before eating lunch quietly as a teacher, that would be okay. Because these are personal, quiet exercises of religion in a way that are neither disruptive nor are putting the mantle of authority and the state itself on display with religion. Kennedy is not doing that. He is, at the beginning, very much doing things that are directly performative, again, in the sense that it is a communal and verbal and vocal activity. He's in the locker room and he's giving something between a prayer and a pep talk that has religious overtones to it. He's holding up a, a football helmet, and I would assume blessing it, and invoking our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and so on and so forth. And uh, that is directly problematic. That is against constitutional law. Uh, it wouldn't be a problem if he wanted to do that on Sunday outside of school, uh, if, if he was a youth pastor on the side, if, if he was running a prayer group at his house or something like that. That's okay. That's in the private sphere. But when he's an employee acting as a representative of the government by virtue of being an employee, and he's doing these religious things, that's breaking that boundary of the Establishment Clause. And, uh, and, it, and it's he, to Kennedy's credit, and this is pointed out by Gorsuch repeatedly throughout the, the majority opinion, it becomes less and less overt over time. Uh, it goes from Kennedy uh, telling the school or Kennedy being told you can't do this anymore and him him relinquishing this and no longer doing prayers before games in the locker room. Uh, it, it does mitigate over time. But at the very beginning, it is a violation of the Establishment Clause for sure. Yeah. I, and I think that that analysis that you touched on is so spot on where if it's a private act that is not kind of cloaked in the mantle of state authority, then we're far less likely to have a problem with it or prohibit it because it is not directly uh, invoking some sort of state-endorsed uh, religion. Right. And what we saw with Kennedy was that the, the kind of prayer services before the games and the post-game kind of speeches that you know really were heavy invoking uh, religious themes – you know, those those practices, granted, they were there ensconced in that school before Kennedy arrived. He simply took them over. And, you know, seven years after he started, when the district found out about it and they sent him a letter and they said, you know, it's come to our attention that you're doing this, you know, as Gorsuch points out to his credit, he did say, OK, I think that's a problem. And at first, he even stops his 50 yard line prayer. But about a month after he agrees to kind of cease any and all outward public religious showings, he kind of has a change of heart and he feels so compelled by his, what I think everyone would agree is a sincere religious belief, that he writes a letter back. I don't doubt that. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I don't think anybody would, would take issue with the fact that he really is coming from... It would be very odd if he were an atheist doing this to, to stir up yeah. stuff. I think he's a legit Christian. I think he yeah. believes it. I've, I have no... It'd be very clear as I have no issue with Kennedy's de devoutness or spirituality. I think that's probably spot yeah. on. Um, so he pens a letter. Uh, you know, he, he originally is told in September of 2015 that he has to stop doing this stuff. He stops for September and about half of October. 
But he writes a letter back to the school district in October 2015 and says, listen, um, I get it. You don't want me to lead students in prayer in a locker room prior to a football game while I'm an assistant coach. But, but I understand. I'll do that. I understand post-game when everyone's back in the locker room and we're either you know commiserating a defeat or celebrating a victory. You don't want me to you know thank God for a victory or pray to Jesus for better luck next time. I get that. But you know, my 50 yard line kind of silent prayer. I don't invite the students to join. I kind of do it when everyone's off doing their own thing. I think you guys can let me do that, right? And so he gets a response from the district, which says, you know, listen, a reasonable observer would see what you're doing and say, this is a guy who is still performing his duties and responsibilities as an assistant coach, performing a religious act that students have reported that they kind of feel compelled to engage in. Whether or not you are soliciting them, you know, they feel as though maybe their status on the team will change if they don't participate, and that's a big deal. So the district tells Kennedy, no, you still can't do it. And Kennedy responds by basically thumbing his nose at the district, holding uh, more or less a press conference where he alerts the media and does it anyway. And subsequent to that, there's a, a flurry of exchange back and forth between the district and Kennedy, where the district is kind of desperately trying to come up with an accommodation that is actually going to satisfy Kennedy. They say, look, if you're in an away game mm -hmm. after the students are all on the bus, when nobody else is there, if you want to walk to the 50-yard line then, offer a silent prayer, okay. Or at a home game, if you want to do it after the students have all gone home, you know, you can go back. The lights will still be on on the field. You can do it then. But you can't do it when you're still on duty because that violates the Establishment Clause. And so this becomes a controversy. And Kennedy refuses to even acknowledge that these accommodations are being offered. He doesn't address them. He doesn't say yes or no. He just keeps on doing what he wants to do. And members of the community join him on the 50-yard line for his prayers, opposing Students from the other team join him. You know, the the state legislators. Right. I mean, the, the this this was a big deal. It was written about in newspapers. It got a lot of coverage for Bremerton, uh, Washington, and it even found its way into the Seattle News. It, it was something that was kind of catching fire in that, you know, local area at the time. And it, it became something that the district became very concerned about. Because now they have an employee who is refusing to cease overtly religious acts. And is the way that, that you phrased it, these are performative acts, but they are kind of cloaking the, the mantle of state authority onto his prayer because he is wearing his, you know, his state, uh, you know, employee logo polo shirt. And he's, you know, got his clipboard still and he's holding a football helmet. And as, as the Ninth Circuit points out, he's doing it in a restricted area that he's only permitted to go to by virtue of being a public exactly. employee. He's on the 50-yard line. You can't just wander down there. And in fact, by this time, they now have cops trying to stop people right. from doing that. Or at least later on, they have cops stopping people from doing that. So he, he has access to this place explicitly because he is a public employee. Right. And that, that, that becomes a factor of the opinion. So after the third game, as you know, uh, the district sends Kennedy a letter and puts him on administrative leave and ultimately lets him go. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, do you think that the district 
took a reasonable response here. They they sent him some letters. They got his responses. They tried to accommodate, and ultimately, they just said, "Look, it, you're you're clearly not on board with the program. You got to go." I think that the district was absolutely in the right. I think that they repeatedly went out of their way to attempt to accommodate him, and he was not okay with that. He was not okay with practicing religion in a way that was not showy in public. He wanted it to be showy. He wanted it to be public and wanted wanted to put a cross on top of this game. They made lots of efforts to allow him to do other things, and that's important too because under constitutional law, accommodation is one of the factors that the courts look at to, to determine whether free exercise of religion has been abrogated or not. Um, so, so some example, you would know the case law better than me, Paul. And, and in fact, if you remember the phrase that I'm thinking of, by all means, tell me, but, uh, like f- for example, um, if I am, uh, th- there's, there's a liquor law in my state that, that prohibits wine or something like that. Uh, and, and I go, look, I have to have a religious exemption for this because I'm a devout Catholic and it is critical to my religion that I, that I do communion. Um, that's different than if, uh, I went, um, I really think I, I really like singing hymns out loud. Uh, and that's part of my religious expression. Well, the court can go, well, do you have to sing hymns out loud? Is that required? Well, no, I can sing them. I mean, I can do it in church. I don't have to do it any time throughout the day. I can do it on Sunday. Okay. Well, if we're not abrogating something direct to your religion that severs you from your religious identity, then we think it's reasonable if the state has a vested interest in either not establishing religion or making sure that the workplace environment is efficient and open, we are going to say that in this case, since you're, you're, you're not directly having your religion severed from you, we're going to make you cease doing this, as opposed to like communion, where the court would go, oh, okay, yeah, communion is a very direct part of your religion, and, and it, would be, um, it would be harmful for you to be unable to take wine in the form of communion, so that you get a religious exemption for that. That's probably a poor example since we're not using prohibition anymore. But you can think of other things like uh, I would imagine we've probably had a court case now where someone wanted to wear a burqa in, in, a, in a photographic ID and the court has to adjudicate, OK, is, is a burqa actually part of your religion or is it a cultural preference? Um, is there a way we can work around this? Can you have can you just have a head covering? Does it have to cover your face? Uh, and sometimes it's going to say, sorry, this you have to have IDs. This is this is preemptive for the for the country's safety. Um, but other times it's going to go, OK. You don't get to just state what in totality you would prefer your religious expression to be. It has to be something that is directly in conflict with it. This is a very good example with Kennedy uh, of he is not only at liberty to be in church on Sunday, of course, to pray in his home, of course. He can pray before the game with students in an unofficial capacity in the parking lot. He can they can all go to Applebee's after the game and he can take off his jacket or whatever. It just like he's just a guy. Um, he can he can pray quietly to himself. Just don't do it on the fifty yard line, uh, or come back after the game, or go go behind the bleachers and pray. But just w- what we don't want, all we want, coach, is we don't want you as a representative of the school to be praying in front of everybody and having them join you because that makes it a school activity, which is what we're trying to stop. And he had a direct problem with that. He wanted it to be a school activity. He didn't want to just pray in general. He wanted it. He wanted it to be central. I, I don't know football at all, Paul. I had to look up a diagram of the 50-yard line. It's in the smack dab middle of the field. It he sure wanted is. to be in the middle of the field doing this. And mm-hmm. and I, I think the district went out of its way to try and accommodate this guy. And uh, he, he refused to do good faith efforts with the school 
to the point that now, and, and if we want to get into like the Pickering test, that the head coach has resigned and three of the five assistant coaches have decided not to come back to work because it's become such a media circus. Some of the people are afraid they're going to get shot because he's so emphatic about having this spirituality central to this public act. Uh, and, and so I, I, I'm, I'm pro-district here. So the, the test that you're talking about, the, the phrasing that you look for, is the undue burden test. Does the rule or the statute put an undue burden on the free exercise of somebody's religion? So in your example about singing hymns, if the state were to say, um, Andrew Heaton, you cannot sing hymns in public, you know, you would have to make a demonstration that, well, singing hymns in public is really a part of my religion. So you are burdening my ability to exercise my religion by prohibiting me from singing hymns in public. Now, singing hymns in public, probably, if you're a devout Catholic, is not going to unduly burden you. But if they said, you can't have wine for your prohibition reference, and you said, well, I'm a devout Catholic, my religious services require me to have a little bit of wine. So now you are putting an undue burden on the exercise mm. of religion. And so what that boils down to is... Or, or can, I, can I give another example that might, sure. might be more relevant to the, the period we're living in? Mm -hmm. If you're a devout Muslim, you have to pray to Mecca or towards Mecca five times a day. That's part sure. of your religion. And if you don't do it, you are that is a big deal if you were a, a devout Muslim. So you could make a case if you were a school employee that as a Muslim, I, look, guys, this isn't optional. Uh, it's not a thing where I pray when I'm really hoping we win the football game. I have to pray to Allah every day five times. I'm, I'm going to do one when I leave the house. I'm going to do one when I get back. But there's prayer throughout the day I have to do. Now, if, if the person's praying in the school cafeteria loudly, they're doing the, the, the wail of the call to prayer, and they're, they're doing it in front of students, and that's causing a ruckus, the school could go, hey, we don't have a problem with you praying, but can you, can you do it in the teacher's lounge? Can you right. do it in your car? Is there, is there a way for you? To, can we accommodate you to where we're not hurting your religious identity and your ability to commune with the divine in a way that's less disruptive to us? And yes, the answer is yes. There are ways to do this where you, you could, instead of doing a coffee break, you go to, um, you, you go to an unoccupied room and you pray in there. Uh, it doesn't have to be in, in the school cafeteria in front of everybody. And um, this, I, I think, is kind of at root of what Kennedy's up to. Right. And then that goes back to what you're talking about with this good faith analysis. Anytime courts are being asked to consider whether a rule or whether a statute has posed an undue burden on a person's ability to exercise their religion, they are naturally going to look at, well, are we dealing with a flexible uh, agency or state actor or are we dealing with a very rigid one who says absolutely not under no circumstances, you may not do this? Or are we looking at, uh, at an agency that is saying, OK, no, no, no we're, we're OK with you doing it. But the way that you're doing it currently is causing a disruption or, you know, really kind of appears to be establishing, you know, a state sponsored religion. We want to have you have the ability to do it, but we are asking you to kind of do it in this way where you're still getting the full religious experience that you need, but you are not causing a disturbance or you are not advocating for your religion to be a state religion. And so I, I think that that is a huge component of this case. And it's something that Sotomayor really uh, touches on in the dissent when she kind of goes through what I think is a, is a more detailed and a more nuanced look at what Joe Kennedy was actually doing, you know, vis-a-vis -vis 
his communications back and forth with the district, his refusal to answer certain points uh, that they were making, his refusal to uh, engage with them in a good faith negotiation on how he could do it. And you're right. He could have, if he really wanted to even do it at the 50-yard line, he could have just walked from one side of the field to the other with his eyes closed, not bowing his head, not taking a knee, and said a prayer. And by the time he walked from one end zone to the other, which for those of you out there who don't really know football, that's just one side of the field to the other, Uh he would have had enough time to do the prayer that he wanted to do. And it wouldn't have been this outward performative thing. But if it really was simply a sincere religious expression of thanks to God for the opportunity to do what I do, and I love my job, and I love my kids, and all this stuff, he could have done that. And nobody would have known which would have allowed him to do his practice without potentially violating the Establishment Clause. But it was so important to him that it be outward, that it be public, that people know that he is doing it, even at the same time while he's claiming in court that I never invited the students to join. You know, this is just a a personal thing that I do. In the meantime, legislators are there, members of the community are there, opposing coaches have joined in, opposing players have joined in. So there, there is a real conflict with what he is saying is the impetus behind what he's doing and how these actions are actually playing out on the 50 yard line after these games. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think the, um, I'm not making the students do it. That, uh, is, uh, Correct, but but specious, specious right. uh, in in terms of the the argument being rendered. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'm going to give a, a a some props to Gorsuch on something that I agree with him on. Um, I I think what Gorsuch is basically trying to do with this decision, in addition to repealing Lemon, which all the conservatives hate for some reason, um, what he's wanting to do is he's basically trying to promote pluralism. I, I don't think that Gorsuch has some secret goal of instating. Christian religion is the theocratic regime of the United States or anything like that. Mm-hmm. I think the debate happening within this context is are, are, is the government, is the state, is that a situation that we view as sort of a forum in which we can all be practicing our religion out loud, or do we view it as the quiet section of the library where nobody gets to talk? That's I'm being very reductive here. Yeah. Gorsuch wants to have a, a pluralistic environment where you can wear a yarmulke, you can have a cross necklace. Um, and he makes a statement inside of uh, in the majority opinion that um, we need to uh, the kids basically need to encounter things they disagree with. Otherwise, they're not going to be tolerant. And they won't be able to participate in a pluralistic environment. Right. I don't have a problem with that logic for adults. I think that that makes sense. Like that makes sense if we're talking about state legislatures. Like if 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 you or I were elected to the state legislature, we don't we don't lose our First Amendment rights when we cross the threshold of the Capitol. The, every president, you know, says, "May God bless America," and uh, and 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 has the ability to talk about their their spiritual faith, and like mm-hmm. shouldn't be inhibited from doing so. But the distinction there is that we're talking about adults talking to other adults. We're talking about people that have the um, the ability to opt out if they want, which students don't have. It's compulsory that they be there. They're not allowed to say, "I don't want to go to school anymore." Right. And and and, and uh, like they can also should be able to make the distinction as adults of, I, I, I don't like that the guy from the free church, the screaming Jesus is bringing up Leviticus to explain why he's against zoning reform or whatever. But the fact that I don't like it and I don't think that it's germane to the political process doesn't mean that it's, it's compulsory. So Kennedy is saying, Hey, this isn't compulsory. I'm not making any of the kids pray with me. And it's like, yes, but, um, kids are a different, a different zone, a different context for this kind of thing. As I said, it's it's compulsory. They're not allowed to leave. 
beyond that, they have much more pressure than adults have to conform with their peers and to seek the approval of their educators. And for that reason, if everybody on the football team is going to go do this public prayer that the coach is doing, and you're not, is not required. And I don't, I don't doubt that it wasn't required. I doubt, I doubt he like did a wink, wink, nudge, nudge thing. I think he's probably being very sincere when he says that. Mm -hmm. But if he's doing that and it's this voluntary prayer being led by a coach and everybody but you's doing it, do you want to be the weirdo that, uh, that that's the atheist or whatever? Probably not. Um, and then there's also, right. and uh, you just, may, you may have legitimate concerns that your playing time might get cut if you're not exactly there's material right. concerns, right? Yeah. Like, like we're like, I don't know football, but let's say I was doing, uh, I'm back in high school and I'm in, I'm in drama mm -hmm. again. If I'm going to Bible study with, uh, the, the, the director, uh, or, or we're, we're doing a prayer every day during lunch or something. And, and she gets to know me that way. And she knows that I'm a good guy and I'm a good Christian. Subconsciously, she might want to give me more right. stage time. She might want to get like these, these are, these are factors. Um, and, and so I don't buy the, the non-compulsory element. I think that that would apply if we're talking about, uh, state legislatures, people giving speeches on the floor. Uh, I, I'm a congressman and I have a picture of the Vatican or a, a cross or something in my office because my spiritual identity is very important to me. I think that's fair. You're an adult. Um, we can get into other issues of when it becomes too much, but in general, you shouldn't have to take your yarmulke off when you're when you're in the state legislature. Absolutely. I think that that's fair, and Gorsuch's point with that. But I think it's different with kids, and I'd say it's also different with like military, because like if you're if you're abroad, you actually have to have a chaplain provided to you in order to have free exercise of religion, because you, you want to get communion or something. So you actually need some government help there. But but again, these are very different contexts than what we're talking about, which is. Children in a school who are impressionable and can't leave. That that's a different thing. Right. I think I think that's a very important point to note, the the compulsory aspect of this. These are not people who have the option not to. And and as much as we can say, well, he's a football coach and it's just a football team, you know, students shouldn't have to choose between doing student athletics mm -hmm. and being able to get away from a state sponsored religious activity. Like that that's not a dichotomy that we should right. be putting on sixteen, seventeen, eighteen year olds. Um and yeah. I think that it's it's really important uh, to note that some of the students reported feeling pressured. They reported feeling compelled to participate or being afraid of what the repercussions of that would be. So that, that was a very real concern. And I don't think that Gorsuch really kind of bit into that as much because obviously it kind of cut against the decision that he wanted to make. And I do agree that it is important, especially for adults, to be able to live in a pluralistic society where, you know, I may be one religion, you may be another religion, and we can, you know, converse, we can each practice our own religion and respect and tolerate everyone else's religion and not feel that, well, because you're not my religion, I have to kill you. But what we are looking at here is is essentially not that. And uh, another phrase um, that comes out in the opinion, you know, is that... Uh, you're not required to kind of slough off your sincere religious beliefs at the gates to the schoolhouse. And I think that, that when Gorsuch says that he's kind of misapplying the situation because the district's position is not that Kennedy cannot be a Christian at the schoolhouse. And, and nowhere is that kind of idea put forward, you know, the same way that, as you know, you know, Joe Biden goes to mass. Yeah. No, no, no one's saying that if, if they ask him, are you a Christian? He has to say, sorry, by state law, I can't right. tell you whether I go to church. No right. one's saying and that. No one's saying he can't pray before mm -hmm. lunch. No one's saying he can't 
personally do things. It, it's just it's just the public manifestation of it, which lends the mantle of authority of the state onto religion. Right, and and it's 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 even kind of uh, it's stretching that because, as you say, we have legislators that do overtly religious things. You know, the the president, like I said, Joe Biden goes to mass. George W. Bush frequently, you know, talked about his faith and you know how sustaining that was for him trump liked to do photo ops sure. at churches occasionally he walked over to that one across with the white house one right. he had that big thing where he referenced two corinthians and you know twitter lost their mind mm. because he was talking about the bible you know in front of a church during a state-sponsored photo op i mean th- these are these are things that we i agree with gorsuch as a pluralistic society we have to have some tolerance for this but we also have to kind of Understand that there is necessarily a bit of a balancing act when you're talking about these particular First Amendment rights. Um, so I think this is a good time to really kind of drill down for people what the free exercise clause is and what the establishment clause is. And, and to a lesser degree, free speech, although I kind of agree with Gorsuch that, that the free speech and free exercise aspects of this case do get tied together and, and, you know, the way that one resolves kind of resolves the other because the speech in this case is actually the exercise of his religion. Um, so when we look at the establishment clause, you know, what we're we have to be careful what it says and also what it doesn't say. So basically, the establishment clause prevents the state from endorsing or establishing a religion. So. You cannot the, – the New York state legislature cannot come together and pass a bill that says New York is Catholic now. Everybody in New York, you are now officially Catholic. Congratulations. Uh, the Pope will be here next week. Although I, I'm not sure that Clarence Thomas would even go that far. I like like in reading Clarence – I think Clarence Thomas is like – and I'm going to give Clarence Thomas credit for being consistent. He is being very literal when he looks at the First Amendment and he goes, yes, Congress cannot do that. But if the Kentucky legislature wanted to, the Constitution says nothing about it. Well, I, however, I'd say that that is an errant opinion. I think most people, including myself, would say that the the First Amendment uh, has has both been interpreted and reinforced by the Fourteenth Amendment right. of the government shall not establish a religion. Right. I, I would I would push back on Thomas in that and say the Fourteenth Amendment, you know, applies the Bill of Rights to the state legislatures also um, in the same way, you know. Uh, Congress, the, the FBI can't force a defendant to make a statement without a lawyer. You know, the 14th Amendment has made it so that, uh, you know, the New York Police Department can't force a defendant right. to make a statement. You know, yeah. we have all the protections that were guaranteed from the Bill of Rights from the federal government, also through the states via the 14th Amendment. So in, in my mind, that that doesn't fly. I understand, you know, that he has consistently kind of felt this way. Um but the, the important thing to note about the Establishment Clause is it, it does not say that if you work for the government, whether that's state or federal in any capacity, you can't be religious. And so I think that's what we're seeing on a, a lot of, uh, of Twitter and, and other social media platforms is the, the people's problem with this, not having read the case, not having understood the case or, or grappled with the reasoning and the decisions. You know, how can it be that he is doing something religious as a state actor? And that's not the issue. The issue is he is using his position as a state actor to actively endorse a religion. It doesn't matter that Joe Kennedy is a Catholic or maybe the principal of that school is a Muslim or a Buddhist or a Rastafarian. They are allowed to be whatever they are so long as as they're performing their official duties, they don't use that job as a platform 
to establish their own personal or any religion. I can't imagine a situation where somebody who's Catholic would try to make, you know, a Jewish state. But they they can't use that role as a way to kind of jump off and say, okay, you know, we are now blank. And that is a, a key distinction that I think kind of gets lost when we talk about the Establishment Clause. It's a violation when it is the state actor doing something and using their role, their responsibilities, and the performance of their duties. As you said before, he's only on the 50-yard line because he is an assistant coach. The parents of the quarterback can't just come down after the game and walk over to the 50-yard line and say, this is why I'm here. So that is really the issue. Can I can I give you um, – feel free to, to use this just to attribute it sure. to me. You know, we like there's all these judicial tests. There's like the Sherbert test or the Pickering test and mm-hmm. all that. I'm gonna I'm gonna posit the Heaton hip flask okay. test. This is my contribution to jurisprudence. One of the things that Gorsuch brings up repeatedly in the majority opinion is that Kennedy is doing this on personal time after the conclusion of the right. game, and that other other members of staff are at the same time um, texting people, coordinating dinner getting coca-cola whatever and so it is unfair that the state would say they can they can engage in secular activities um on their personal time but he can't engage in a sectarian activity during this time and i i have disagreement with this and here's why heat and hip flasks heat and hip flask test would it have been okay for him to pull a hip flask out of his vest and take a big swig on the 50 yard line at this time i would posit no that there there were certain things that would not have been permissible for him at this time because he was acting as an employee in a a public environment while still on the clock. If he if 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 he's in his backyard and he's drinking out of a, a hip flask in a student season, there's no issue there. He shouldn't be reprimanded for that. He's in his backyard, it's on his time. But if he were doing something that runs afoul of the school while he's on the clock at a public event, that's still germane, regardless of whether it's secular or whether it's sectarian. And he's on the clock. Um, part of his job description, as Sotomayor points out in his contract, was that he was uh, vested with directing home and away games um, during the game and after the game. Uh, uh, the, the, it's, it's not that the moment the whistle blows that the whole thing ceases to be a school function. It, it quits being a school function when the kids leave. That's when it quits, when, it, when it's a, a school function. So anyway. If it had been inappropriate for him to be taking a big swig out of a hip flask on the 50-yard line as a as a employee of the school, I would posit that it would still be inappropriate for him to be engaging in a performative religious display at that time. And he was both acting as an employee in a school event. So if I understand it correctly, the Heaton hip flask test basically says if you can't get wasted, you can't overtly do something religious. Yes, this is this is basically a way of saying, uh, are there you you've yep. nailed it? Uh, I love it. There are there are times where I would I would protect a teacher, like, and I would I would go pretty far on this, like like I would uh, pictures surface of a teacher getting drunk in college, and and people want to fire him. I I would say no, that that that's they they weren't a teacher at all when it happened. Um, this is their personal time. I mean, I I'd, I'd probably go even or further, like if they had an OnlyFans site or something. Like I I would I would be pretty inclined to protect a teacher for what they're doing on their personal time. Uh, but there are certain things that you can't do while on the clock. It would be inappropriate for him to drop the f bomb right. over a microphone. Now, if some if he's at the grocery store 
and somebody hears him drop the f bomb and they report it and they get mad because the coach said the f- I would I would defend him there, there too. I'd be like, look, like probably not real wise to stir up the kids and the teachers and stuff. It's an imprudent move, but he's not acting as a teacher right, right now. He's acting as a dude in a grocery store. But if you started dropping the f bomb over the intercom and it caused a problem as this did, and he was reprimanded by the school, then then that would be germane. And, and so, yes, I, I think th- this is a good way of going, look, did he have partial duties at this time that were still relevant to his job? And the answer is yes. Yeah, and I think that that is the, the real key of this case. This is where the majority and the dissent kind of diverge. And while Gorsuch says, okay, once the game is over and people are making restaurant reservations people are singing the fight song the kids are off on the sidelines singing the fight song um some kids may be talking to their parents you know at that point according to the majority opinion gorsuch says he is able to make any form of speech that he's able to do what he wants and therefore putting a restriction on his religious speech becomes a non-neutral burden on his religion because we're only targeting religious speech and because we're only targeting religious speech at a time when he should be able to engage in any speech, that that is what violates the free exercise clause. Now, as you've mentioned, yeah. and I, I think he's wrong about yeah. that. And I, I think it also fails the Pickering test. There's multiple reasons. I don't think it, it works. Yeah. Um, and I and I think that it, it would have failed the, the lemon test. So, so just. Very briefly, uh, you know, for those who are unfamiliar, uh, Lemon v. Kurtzman was a case back in 1971 that set a, a three-pronged test for whether or not uh, a rule prohibiting um, some sort of religious uh, exhibition was violating the free exercise clause. The rule must have a secular purpose. It must not advance or inhibit religion, and it must not uh, excessively entangle the government in any sort of uh, religious practice. So the district and the Ninth Circuit looked at this and said, well, he's he's on duty. So, you know, the way that we are kind of looking at this is saying we're not trying to restrict his religion, um, except to the point that he is a state actor. And by virtue of being a state actor, then we have the secular purpose and we're not advancing or inhibiting religion because we are prohibiting uh, what we are actually prohibiting is the sanctioning of a state religion. So I think what we have to kind of do is is break down whether or not Joe Kennedy is still acting as an arm of the state while the students are off doing their own thing. And I think you're right. I think Sotomayor really nails it when she kind of points out, which is omitted in the majority opinion, that his contract doesn't end when the whistle to the football game blows, that he is still on the clock. He still has duties until the kids go home. And therefore, I don't think that it's it's appropriate to say that he was free to do whatever he wanted at that time, because according to the heat and hip flask test, he wasn't. And there were there were other things that he could have done that as a state uh, employee, as an assistant high school coach, would have been problematic. And therefore, if it would have been problematic for him to do those things by virtue of him still being on the clock, then it's problematic for him to kneel and publicly pray while he's on the clock. Yes, I, I very much agree with that and, and Sotomayor. I think Gorsuch, Gorsuch disagrees with that, but he also has a counter to our position as well, which is in his mind, as, as far as I can tell, this is the same as punishing a, a teacher for wearing a yarmulke 
or um, somebody crossing themselves at lunch. So he he falls back on the idea that uh, it is an unfair burden or under uh, undue burden um, that that you could not express religion at all. Uh, I don't know if if court history uh, or or court precedent is great at at making this division, but I like like we said at the beginning of the program, I would make a distinction between passive, quiet, personal action versus public action or communal action. And those do seem relevant to me. Right. Um, you, I mean, again, this is always going to get nitpicky. Theoretically, if I always wanted to dress up like Jesus Christ to be the school principal, like you could, okay, that seems more overt, even if you're not saying anything. But for the most part, I think people would be fairly good about going, all right, this person has a cross necklace. That's just personal decoration. Um, you know, they're entitled to do that. That's Okay. Uh, but it's another thing where, you know, the teacher wants to begin the class by praying to Jesus to give us open minds to the knowledge we were about to receive. These are these are different. Yeah. And I even going back to the the principal who wants to dress up like Jesus, just because they're not necessarily overtly using their words to say something, their actions are conveying speech. Mm-hmm. And we have seen throughout the history of this country, actions are speech. Flag burning is speech, you know. Wearing a jacket that says uh, F the draft is speech. So if somebody is engaging in conduct, regardless of whether or not the words coming out of their mouth have an overtly religious overtone, the way that they're comporting their self can actually connote a certain type of speech. And so I would say that somebody who wants to dress up like Jesus every day is making a, a certain type of speech. And if they're doing it in a way that very clearly conveys, you know, we are a school that follows Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ is an integral part of this. And that's why I dress up like him every day. That's inappropriate. That is a violation of the establishment clause. And I would, I would credit a school district who says you must immediately stop doing that or you will be you know, let go. Very well put. I retract my position. There's no situation in which you could wear a, a Jesus costume as a member of staff uh, to a public event. I'll, I'll add to that. Um, I, I think we can get stepping a little bit away from case law to the kind of ideological nuclei of what we're what we're talking about. I think there's kind of three camps in the states. There's the um, heavy emphasis on pluralism forum mentality that Gorsuch is exonifying, which I, I largely agree with. Like I'm very much a pluralist, and and I I concur that you know state legislators don't lose their their uh, ability to be religious when they cross the threshold of the state capital. You're like 95 percent of the way with him. Yeah, it's really it's just kids that I'm worried about. Um, uh, maybe prisoners, if like a, if a warden required prayer or something like that, but for the most part, like when we're talking about freely acting adults, I, I agree. Well, it sounds like you, you are, your focus is on the compulsion aspect of it because you've talked about kids in school. You've talked about military people and you've talked about prisoners and all three of those camps involve an element of compulsion. Mm. They don't have the ability to kind of change their circumstances willy nilly at at the drop of a hat. Yeah. And, and, And impressionability is very important to me too. Um, sure. but, but that's that's one camp. That's where Gorsuch is coming from. The the other camp is the the Sotomayor camp of uh, let's err on the side of silence when we're not sure about these things, which which I, I would say is a good place. To, and again, we're only talking about the state. We're not talking about markets, Twitter, church, lawn, house, sure. none of that. We're only talking about those things with the state's always. But there is a third category of people. And I have grown up with these people. I used to be one of these people. And these are people who are not advocating for a pluralistic society, but want to have Christianity 
be the the official religion of the state, but have the state be tolerant to minority religions. But it's a Christian country, mm-hmm. right? I used to be one of these folks. And I, I grew up in Oklahoma, which is the holster of the Bible Belt. And there are examples of people pushing this in a odd turn of phrase here, a bad faith way to attempt to to uh, uh, show everybody that the establishment is religious. Um, for example, mm-hmm. I knew a priest in high school who I liked. Father Ralph was a great guy. Father Ralph was a, a Greek Orthodox priest who, who really believed in the Byzantine model of, of the church and state should, uh, you know, the emperor, uh, all this stuff. One of the things he would do, he was, he was an Orthodox priest. He was also a history teacher. Uh, the school would not let him do a prayer at the convocation at the end of, of the semester or the end of the school year. So what he would do is he'd get his his incense swinger uh, and he would do a procession with the American flag. So it was part of it, this is all patriotic. It's just the flag. And he right. would sing select lines from patriotic songs that involve God. So just God bless America. Then he'd switch to another song so that it, he was making this ad hoc hymn piecemeal out of American songs to try and script. Well, right. it's very clear what he's doing here. And again, I like sure. Father Ralph, but he was in the wrong here. This, this is, this is, he is tempting to infuse uh, religion directly into this public ceremony. And he's no problem with him being a, a, a priest or anything. I don't have a problem with him dressing up like a priest if, if, that, if, if it's just that's kind of the costumery he has. Uh, Oklahoma right. um, had a, a famous case here coming up 10 years ago where a Ten Commandments monument was put on the lawn of the state capitol. And the, right, I remember the this. problem with that is myriad, but I'd say the top two things that spring to mind are, one, it's it's on the state capitol. It's uh, like directly in front of the capitol. Um, and two, the intention behind it. I don't think I would have a big problem if, if, if you found a Ten Commandments monument or a picture of Moses or something in like the, the Leakey County State Courthouse in Utah, uh, and it was from right. 1880, that wouldn't bother me a whole lot. And if it was an up or down vote of whether we should take it down, I'd vote take it down. But I wouldn't be agitating to do right. it. I, I would be okay with that being there. I'm okay with ceremonial deism in the form of like God bless America on our quarters or whatever. I don't particularly care about that. When you're doing it now, and you're putting a Ten Commandments monument on the state lawn of the Capitol, you're doing it as an overt act to tell everybody Oklahoma is a Christian state, and everybody else right, is fun. a visitor or a minority or something like that. And and it and and. Uh, it, it, it was ordered to be taken down and then a guy drove a car into it and I'm in favor of both of those things. Yeah, we see this a lot. So there've been a couple different 10 commandments cases and, uh, several years ago at this point, there was a huge case that involved, I'm sure you'll remember a nativity scene, a crash that was put in front of a state capital. I can't remember exactly where, but it caused a, a massive, uh, brushback because it was, as you say, a, a, a very obvious endorsement that, you know, our government here supports, you know, Christian values, and then it, they they try to ameliorate it by putting a menorah off to the side. You know, obviously a little bit smaller, right. but you know, we're we're pluralistic. Look, we have a menorah. You know, but the, and see, and that, that that doesn't work either. Like no. like in the Oklahoma case, um, what the, the response to this, like, so uh, to clarify this, the Ten Commandments monument was used. It was private funds, most of whom people all planning to run for governor, but it was private funds on public land in front of the state capitol. And so immediately the free church of Satan of Enid, Oklahoma went, well, we want to have a Satan monument. If you guys get to have a 10 commandments monument, they literally had a monument proposed called sit in the lap of Baphomet, 
which was like a, a, a goat god with a pentagram and kids could sit on his lap and get their picture taken. And um, which was great trolling on behalf of that crowd. Sure. But then like, in a, I guess a more um, less trollish legitimate capacity, the local Hindu church said, well, we like we're in Oklahoma and like we are not, not church uh, Hindu, Hindu temple. Right. Um, you know, we, we think that we should have equal access to the, the grounds of the Capitol. We would like to put up a monkey God statue. And, uh, and I was like, this is great. By the way, this would be really fun. Like, if there was a way to do this where every religion could have a monument on the lawn of the state capitol, right. great for tourism. But the problem is, eventually, you're going to run out of space. Yeah. And now you have to figure out how are we going to allocate and discriminate in this limited amount of public space here. And what's probably going to happen is every Protestant church in Oklahoma, and there's more Protestant sects in Oklahoma than there are people in Oklahoma, is going to want to have its own specific monument explaining why we believe in consubstantiation, but not transubstantiation. Right. They're all going to want to have their thing, and you're going to have to. So the only way to do this equally and fairly is to go, look, you can literally put up the monument in any one of the churches that's 20 feet away. We're in Oklahoma. We're Frisbee distance from 50 churches right now. You can do whatever you want. And it's just this one little area that is the state that is off limits for for established religion. Yeah, and and I think that these, that's exactly the the problem that the founders were contemplating when they were thinking, okay, you know, how how are we going to give everybody here the ability to kind of practice their religion the way that they want, you know, as long as it's within reason and not hurting other people, but also kind of prevent any you know, majority from coming together and saying, okay, now, you know, in, in Oklahoma, you know, we're 95% uh, Christian, uh, you know, that, that's mm -hmm. enough. We can just become a Christian state. 140% Christian, right. Paul. Again, it's a very religious <laughs> part of the true. world. That's true. It, 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 by conviction, you know, it's 140%. Um, and, and I think that that was one of the, the genius ways that they tried to offset this. And they put it in the same amendment, which I also think is, is really telling. You know, to kind of say, in, in my opinion, having those two clauses in the same amendment really hammers home that neither one is more important than the other. Either one trumps it. So your free exercise, you know, enjoys just as much due process as the establishment clause. So to me, it doesn't matter that one is a negative and one is a positive right, you know, a positive right of being able to practice your religion the way you want versus the negative right of, you know, being free from having a, a state endorsed religion subsume you. These are not things where where it's uh, appropriate to look at it and say, okay, well, you have your free, uh, you have your establishment clause, but my free exercise clause trumps your establishment clause. And so I think, you know, in, in your Oklahoma uh, example of, you know, monkey gods and Baphomet, you know, that is really what we are doing to say the only way that we can make sure that this works smoothly is to say none of them. None of them. We are not putting Christians up. We're not putting Satanists up. We're not putting Hindus. We're not putting Jews, Muslims, whatever it is. You know, you can have your practice. You can do it, but you can't do it on the Capitol. You can't make that kind of outward association of Oklahoma is Christian or Oklahoma is Satanist. And I think that that's, that's the important thing here. And that, to tie it back to Kennedy, is what the real problem with Kennedy was, is that he was on duty. And he was actively doing this as a state actor while he's performing his role in a way that, you know, as much as he might not have outwardly compelled people to do it, the implication was there. You know, Kennedy wanted people to see him do it. We know that because he went to the media. And so he wanted the attention and he wanted 
this very outward performative act to be participated in. And so if I'm a, if I'm a high school football student, I'm looking at this and saying, well, you know, coach is really into this, you know, maybe, maybe I'm the third string running back, you know, maybe, maybe I can get a, a starting position if, if I, you know, rah, 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 yay Jesus a little bit before the game. You know, it, that, that is really what the problem is because he is really endorsing his religion through being the high school football coach. It's not that he is a high school football coach who also happens to be a religious Christian. And, you know, like you said, he could go to Applebee's on Sunday afternoons and have a Bible study. And if students want to come from his school, from other schools, if other coaches want to come, anybody in the community would be welcome to come. He's not on the dime. He's not acting as a high school football coach at that time. That would be fine. But when he is in his, you know, quote unquote uniform, under the authority and agency of the school district, he cannot be overtly trying to, you know, do performative religion to the extent that it, it a reasonable observer would look at it and say, you are using the state to endorse Christianity. I very much agree. I very much agree with all of that. And I, I would... I would commend to our our establishment friends that want to because there there is a clutch of people that are like America's a Christian religion and we should tolerate other faiths, but it should be we should put God in the Constitution, that kind of thing. I, I would commend to all of them. Um, it would be great for you to fully embrace the classical liberal ideals of the founding fathers who did not think of the state as the manifestation and tippy top of the pyramid of society but rather as society is this big old ugly Jackson Pollock painting, and the government is one of the dots in it. It is, a, an, it is an agency within many things of the church and language and education and businesses and all these different things. It's like, an, or it's like a spleen. It's this very dedicated, specific organ that does a certain thing. We're saying this particular thing functions best for everybody if it doesn't have a, a religious element to it. All the other things can be religious for this one thing. We're just saying this one subset of society that's in charge of sewers doesn't be religious. Right. And I think it's important to note that, you know, a lot of those people will kind of conjure up, well, you know, we were founded as a religious uh, Christian country, but that, that I think runs counter to their argument because if you look at the the level of religious conviction of the founding fathers, I don't think there's any doubt that a good number of them were really sincerely religious, and yet they did not establish a Christian country. They established a country that no, they went they went quite out of their way to not do that. Exactly. So, so if those people, it's not like we were established as a country of atheists that over time, you know, Christianity has really taken a hold and root and grown, and now it's the majority. We were founded by a group of people who were church going. Um, and who prayed. And instead of saying the United States of America is a theocracy and we're going to follow the Ten Commandments and that's going to be the foundational principle of our legal system, they said, no, 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 no state religion, none. You can practice how you want, but we are not establishing a religion of the government. We've seen how that works in England. It's a terrible idea. We're not going to do it. And yet, like you say, we have a number of people in this country who still think, you know, no, 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 that's what they wanted. And I, and I don't understand that argument because it, it is specifically written into the Bill of Rights that that is not what they wanted. No, that is demonstrably not what they wanted. 
um, the, the the kind of two spheres of the Enlightenment, the radical Enlightenment and the the moderate Enlightenment. Um, the radical Enlightenment, which is Thomas Jefferson and Thomas Paine and Benjamin Franklin. Um, uh, uh, Franklin and Jefferson, in particular, I think, are beloved uh, by people that are that are conservative Christians in the United States. Um, they were emphatic about the separation of church and state. This was not sure. an accidental omission. This was something that they they truly thought there was a uh, an evil and a propensity for tyranny that resulted from combining church and state for good reason, because of the last 2000 years of that happening. And they right. thought it would be better for both the state and for the churches to have that separation to them. Um, on the other side of it, with Adams and Hamilton and the, the folks that are more on the, the kind of establishment elitist side of it, you can go back to John Locke, who's making the same arguments of um, freedom of conscience is something that the state shouldn't be involved in. And, uh, and, and Madison is emphatic about that when he's writing the Constitution. He's the primary voice in it. I'll also, uh, maybe I'll invoke some ire here. I, I am going to push back against the historical argument that we were founded as a Christian country in the sense that everybody was Christian and devout, and and that was the the foundational element to it. No doubt there were there were very religious people that signed the Declaration of Independence. Several of them were reverends. Um, a significant amount of them were deists that I don't think would qualify as Christians. For example, Thomas right. Jefferson, who right. we tend to invoke, is this model of local control, states' rights, um, anti-elitist democracy. Jefferson wrote a book called the Jefferson Bible where he just took the New Testament and he cut out all the miracles because he didn't right. think they'd happen. Things he didn't like. Yeah. Yeah. And he didn't, he didn't think that Jesus was God. He thought he was a dude. He thought of Jesus the same way that uh, Jewish folks do or that a lot of atheists do of being a, a moral exemplary leader that does not have any divine. That, that's not Christian. You are not a Christian if, if, you, if you don't think those things by the standards virtually every church there is, right? And then mm -hmm. beyond that, like, the, the, the whole like foundational elements of, of American democracy are, are religious is kind of a retcon because the, right. the high watermark of secularism in American history is the Revolutionary War. That is demonst that, that is I'm not saying the people were all secular or that they were atheists, but in terms of to what extent should religion be informing the state, that is the high watermark of secularism in American history. We don't, we don't really get that infusion of Jerry Falwell type stuff until we get the, the Great Awakening and the Second Great Awakening. Uh, and yep. uh, you, you can look at like um, fun guy, Thad Russell, he wrote a book called American Renegade History. He, he did uh, uh, the quants on this where he went back and looked at Philadelphia, Philadelphia per capita, uh, per capita at, at the time of the signing, of the Declaration of Independence had more brothels and pubs than it does now. Uh, there, there, were, there, was, there was more drunkenness and whoring at the, the signing of the Declaration of Independence than there is in our current Congress. So I think all of those arguments are specious, but more to the point. If we want to have a pluralistic society where the the state is not um, being shanghaied by a religious group that you don't want to be in charge of things, and where your church is not having the state tell it what it has to think, like we we uh, have you have you done the the uh, uh, gay cake baker one from Colorado? That's a that's a real can of worms. Have you gotten to that? I haven't covered that one yet, but yeah that that is a that is a fascinating um, application of free exercise. Um, and there are some, yeah. And I, I would, I'd swing for that guy. Yeah. I'd, I'd go on the other I end because like the, we don't have time to get into the full, the full gambit of that. But I, I, the guy who's been railing against, um, the, 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 the nascent theocrats for the last, I, I think I, I would have sided with the, 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 the cake maker. Um, uh, very quickly, there was a, a Christian cake maker in Colorado. Um, a gay couple asked him to make their wedding cake. He refused. They sued him. Uh, he ended up, you know, having to go to court for all these things. And, 
I would say, as a pluralistic society. If he'd been like an ambulance driver that didn't want to serve gay people, or he was a fireman or something, I'd go, look, the, the interests of, this, of public safety are, are overwhelming, uh, and this is not an undue burden. But for, for essentially what the state was trying to do was say, hey, Christian, we think you're a bigot, and we are going to compel you by force of law to adopt our more liberal views. Right. And then, and I think that's also... And enter into contracts. So he, he has a freedom of contract, whether or not he wants to enter into one. And the state was trying to tell him, you no longer have the freedom to say no to certain people. You must operate your business. You, you, you have to recognize and participate. You must recognize and participate in the sacrament that you don't believe right. in. And, and that is the state intruding. In, and that's not how the court case went because they didn't really do it on religious grounds. They did it on free speech grounds. But I would have done it on First Amendment um, free exercise uh, uh, clauses. And, and so it, but it, the point is it swings both ways mm-hmm. here. If, if you don't want the church being marched around by whoever's in charge at the moment, then this is a good division to maintain. Yeah. So um, we'll cap it off in a moment. Um, but I guess, uh, you know, I'll, I'll offer some some of my final thoughts on this decision, and I'll invite you uh, to do the same. Um, I think, I think, and this may be a little controversial, I think had the facts been as Gorsuch kind of laid them out, I would be far more sympathetic to his argument because yeah. he predicates his decision on the fact that Kennedy is not on duty at the time period in question. And therefore, because he's not on duty, any restrictions on his speech you know, must not unduly burden religion. And he's saying they did because he could have, you know, made a restaurant uh, thing. He could have tweeted. He could have checked his Instagram page. But instead, he wanted to pray. And they said that he could not do that as opposed to anything else. So I think if if the facts had been as Gorsuch kind of attributes them, I, I would be far more inclined to say, okay, this is kind of an infringement on the idea of pluralism. But having read Sotomayor's dissent and and the the backup she gives for the idea that that's not the way that this went down, I, I am compelled to say I really think the school district, you know, went above and beyond trying to accommodate this guy, and that he really just was not interested because it was more important to him to be able to do this thing the way that he wanted to do it. As opposed to just being able to do it in a way that was not uh, violating the establishment clause. And so because of that, because he was unwilling to accommodate, he was unwilling to exercise his religion the way that he wanted to, but in a way that the school district was on board with, that, that I think Sotomayor kind of nails it when she says, no, 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 you're on duty. The district is trying to work this out with you, but you are so inflexible that they had no choice but to let you go because your actions really did violate the establishment clause. You know that—that's my kind of final takeaway from this. Yeah, I'll agree with you, and I'll—I'll I'll up the ante a little bit. Uh, I would even—I I think, uh, had it been as Gorsuch, Gorsuch is painting an emotional landscape of guy is quietly praying and being hounded by the relentless administration, and if—if if this were a situation where. He had crossed himself from the sidelines and somebody saw it and got him fired or he had a cross necklace on that he always wore or, you know, or, or he had a yarmulke that he wore to school and he got fired. I would agree if that were the case. Th- this would be an example of a, a, a private passive religious act occurring while being a public employee. And, and I there's not going to be a clear bright line on that. And we could go too heavy on it. But 
The, the relevant distinction here is that he was acting as an employee in a public capacity, thereby putting the mantle of the state on a religious action. And for that, he should have been fired. And again, I, I, like we, we only briefly touched on this. This would have failed the Pickering test, too. Like the, uh, the, 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 this is, um, the, the Pickering-Connick test is, I think, generally for free speech. But the idea is like, um, okay, if I am if, – if I get fired at work because I just keep screaming about how much I hate the president – can I sue the company for firing me? We will not really, or you should lose the lawsuit because the company's not firing you because you're, you have an opinion. They're firing you because you're causing a disruption of the workforce. And while we do want to accommodate your, your first amendment rights, they, to some extent have to be balanced with the ability of an employer to conduct a, uh, an efficient workplace. This guy, Kennedy is running afoul of that. He is causing active destruct, uh, active problems here needlessly. He's, he's having employees leave. Like if, if this weren't religious and he were just doing things that were inviting media circuses and getting people to quit their jobs and not, he would absolutely have been fired. The only reason we're even giving this the, the slightest consideration is because we want to respect the free exercise of religion. I don't think that that was violated in any significant capacity. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I, uh, I, I don't know quite how I fall on, on jurisprudence, Paul, but I, I'm definitely with Sotomayor on this one. Yeah, no, I think you are... Um I think you fall into a, a Gorsuch-style pluralistic society while maintaining the right of the school district to uh, adequately, under the Pickering test, maintain an orderly workplace. Just because uh, the employer is the state does not mean that they have to kowtow to uh, somebody who is incredibly disruptive um, just because – you know, this is them exercising their religion. So there, there's a number of aspects to this. Pickering definitely um, was was more of a minor aspect of this case. But I think you're right. I think it fails Pickering. I think it fails the establishment. I think he, Kennedy himself, fails free exercise by being so inflexible and not taking the district up on their offers to find a way to allow him to pray on the 50-yard line, do exactly what he wants to do, yeah. but just at a Agreed. time when he's not on duty. Well, I, I hope I hope you get nominated to the court. Paul, I'm rooting for you. <laughs> thank you so much. Well, thank you so much for um, – this is Andrew Heaton. Why don't you uh, tell people where they can find you? Hey, gang. You can come find me at The Political Orphanage, another fine podcast that I would love for you to add to your rota of programs you listen to. Uh, uh, regardless of what you thought of my, my legal analysis, I do pride myself on thinking for myself rather than being um, uh, reflexively partisan. I avoid that at all costs, and I think my, my jurisprudential analysis certainly bears that out, that I don't, I'm not swinging for a team. Uh, if you are someone who is exhausted by red team versus blue team dynamics and you're tired of tribalism and groupish slap fights, you might very well have a place at the political orphanage, and I welcome you into our loving embrace. Great. Thank you so much, Andrew. I really appreciate you coming on to talk about this with me. It was a great discussion. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. So that's the show on Kennedy versus Bremerton. A huge thank you to Andrew Heaton for carving out time to discuss this case with me while on vacation in Scotland. I really appreciate it. Another special thank you to Eric Stipe, who had to put a lot of work into getting the audio quality on this up to our usual standards. Thanks, no doubt, to me fouling up the recording somehow. And thank you to everyone who listened to the episodes, who routinely sends me feedback, and who supports discussing these legal matters from the framework of what the law is, as opposed to what we feel the right answer should be, and just trying to make that the law. 
This show exists for people who want an unbiased look at some of the most famous court cases in America and who want to really understand the positions of the litigants, judges, and juries. And I appreciate everyone who comes to the table with an open mind. And I know you do so based on the comments and emails I get, so thank you again. On that note, if you want to contact me, you can email me at insummationpodcast at gmail.com. You can tweet me at insummationpod. You can find me on Instagram at insummationpod or through the show's website, insummation.com. There are a bunch of new clips up there of legal commentary I've done on a couple of high-profile cases going on now in the media, so please check them out. You can also look me up the old-fashioned way at my law firm's website, robertcgottlieblaw.com. You can tell me where you agree or disagree with me. You can suggest cases or topics to cover. You can suggest ways to improve the show. I'm always up for civil discourse and debate. And some listeners have sent me very thoughtful critiques of arguments I've made, and we've had some very productive discussions on legal topics. I'm really impressed by how many non-lawyers listen to this program who have a good handle on some of the more complicated topics that we discuss here. So kudos to all of you. As those of you who have reached out know, I do try and respond to every note I get as quickly as possible. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and follow the show. Get notified when new episodes come out. It's usually roughly every other week. Please rate and review the show so that other people can find it easier. So that wraps up Kennedy vs. Bremerton. Thanks so much for stopping by, and I hope that you'll come back for more.